Dr. Bill Hackett is going to fill in for Pastor Day. How many have ever heard Dr. Bill Hackett? He is a wonderful speaker. He is the provost over at Southeastern University, which means he's the chief academic officer over there. He and his wife, Judy, attend our church. Of course, their children attend our church. Their grandchildren attend our church. So we love them very much, Bill. Looking forward to hearing your message uh, this morning. How you doing? Uh, it's good to see you here. Uh, I, I just want to say thank you to Victory Church, first of all, for having me, Dan, and for Pastor. And uh, what I always say this, we love the partnership that exists between Southeastern University and Victory Church. Uh, I, I don't know if you know this, Pastor Blackburn is our leadership team pastor. He has uh, just been always the source of help and prayer and so forth. He keeps us focused, and we've been through some challenging times this year, and he has kind of helped us go through those particular things. So Southeastern is really indebted to Southeastern. And, and please take advantage, if you know somebody or yourself, of the partnership that we have with uh, getting a degree from Southeastern right here at Victory Church. You have a tremendous staff that can pour into our students, and we just appreciate that so much. Hey, let, let me ask you this question. Have you ever believed something to be true and then later on found out that it was not? Any, anybody kind of fall in that category? Ooh, this, this, this group is much more participant than the earlier crowd. They might, might have been sleeping during that time. I don't know. But Santa Claus? Santa Claus? All right, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if you remember. I can actually remember back when I finally found out that Santa Claus was not real, but actually my parents and my grandfather and so forth. I, I went through a time of depression. I had to seek counsel. Uh, they had to find a safe space for me to, to kind of be that, you know, so I could go through this particular time. Not just kidding, all right, but that, that was a difficult time. But th there, are, there are things like that that we're going to actually talk about today. What do you do? with God when it seems like he lets you down. He doesn't answer your prayers the way that you thought he should. I mean, you kind of figured out the, the prayer request. You know, Lord, uh, I'm going to play the lottery. It's really up this year, and uh, maybe I'll become like Warren Buffett or, or, or Bill Gates. Uh, certainly, I'm going to tithe to Victory Church and maybe give a little leftover to Southeastern University. But, you know, Lord, if you would just bless me this way, uh, you, you know I would be just, just so good with that money. And, and you played it, and it didn't work out. Now, I'm not advocating play it or, or, or saying that prayer, but, but you know, the thoughts sometimes kind of, we think about that. You know, God, I, I just think I have a pretty good way of doing things, and if you were as smart as me, you would do them that way. Uh, yeah, people are laughing. They know I'm not that smart. Uh, but you, you, you kind of deal with that particular thing. In fact, the Scripture says, if you ask anything in Jesus' name, it will be done for you. Well, I've asked things and, and kind of added in Jesus' name at the end, and it wasn't done. And then some pastor told me, well, you know, that really doesn't mean you just kind of add Jesus' name on the end. That actually has to do with God's will and so forth. But I, I, sometimes I have thought that I know God's will better than God knows his will. You know, in that category again? Or, or, or you wonder at times when... Bad things happen to you. A pastor is going to start a series next week kind of helping us through that particular thing. But, you know, you, you go through something. Maybe you lose your job. You get in financial straits. Maybe you hear uh, uh, you get a horrible medical diagnosis or you know somebody in your family that gets the same sort of thing. Or, or things or situations are just not working out well. And you wonder why is God allowing these things to happen? 
In fact, there have been books written. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does that happen sometimes? And you just really start to doubt God. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to kind of talk about allowing God to be God. Anybody remember the movie Rudy? Probably about 25 years ago. You could probably watch it on Netflix for free or something like that. But, you know, it was about true, based on a true story about a fellow named Rudy whose dream in life was to go to Notre Dame. And in fact, his, the, the big part of that dream was not only to go to the Notre Dame, but to play Notre Dame football. Now, I'm one of those weird people that actually loves rooting for, for Notre Dame as a football team. No matter what state I, I grew in when, as a child, I could always depend on Saturday to watch a Notre Dame game. No matter where I was in a it's kind of like, you know, universal across the board. I'm not like Pastor Jeff that, that's hung up with the Georgia Bulldogs. You know, I pray for him. Maybe he'll have a good season. We'll get some good sermons out of that. But, you know, uh, but, but I, I can understand Rudy's story. And, but things didn't work out exactly as Rudy planned. And so he, he, he ends up applying to, to Notre Dame, doesn't, doesn't get in. So he, he decides to go to a community college right next to Notre Dame. And figuring that maybe I'll go here for a year or two, and then I can transfer into Notre Dame. And maybe, maybe I, I can get to play football. Now, Rudy's size is just about my size, so you don't see, you know, it, it, football was not the thing that professionally I thought I was, was going to happen in my life. But Rudy still had that dream. And I remember after uh, the, the first year at the community college, again, he applies to, to Notre Dame and he doesn't get in. So he goes to his priest and they have this conversation. And that's what I remember because the priest said to him, there are two things in life that I'm sure of. He said, there is a God and I am not him. There is a God and I am not him. In other words, that priest was communicating to Rudy, God doesn't always do things the way that we expect for him to do them. You know, maybe you're struggling with that like, like I do at times, because I think we all do it. And, and, and as we go to the scripture, we find that there are even characters in the Bible that struggle with that. The, one of the fellows that we're going to look at today is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, about six months older. And his role, even before birth, is told to his parents. And his role is what? He is going to be the one who is going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Now, John grew up with just as many other Jews in his particular time, understanding and thinking that they understood what the Messiah was supposed to be like. There, there was kind of that view in that time that no matter what happens, when the Messiah comes, everything will be made right. Everything will be fixed when the Messiah comes. Israel, at the time of John the Baptist and Jesus, is under the, the control of Rome. There are Roman soldiers there. They have to, you have to pay your, your taxes to Rome. And it's frustrating because here you are in your country, you have a heritage here. This has been the promised land, and yet it's occupied. But when the Messiah comes, that's going to be fixed. That's going to be made right. And so John is the forerunner, so certainly his message is, hey, if God's coming back today, if there's anything in your life that needs to be cleaned up, it might be a smart thing to clean it up now. Get ready. Repent. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right around the corner. 
You make, want to make sure that your heart is right and your life is right. So if there's any junk in your life, now's the time to get rid of it because the Messiah is coming. And so John even baptizes Jesus. This is the guy, he says. This is the Lamb of God that has come down. I'm not the, I'm not the Christ, but he is. And he points to him. And so he watches Jesus' ministry. And meantime, he makes some statements to, to one of the leaders at the time, Herodias, about his wife. It lands him in prison. And now he's starting to wonder, here I am in prison, and I'm, I'm telling people, get ready for the Messiah. And, and, and things don't seem to be happening the way that I expected them to happen. The truth that I believed in is not taking place. So he's in prison now. He doesn't know that he's not even going to get out. And so he takes some of his disciples and he says, go to Jesus and ask him, are you the Messiah that is to come or should we expect somebody else? In other words, maybe there's another guy and it wasn't you, Jesus, and, and I, I need to prepare for him. So ask him. So that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 7 where the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, are you the one? John the Baptist has sent us to ask you, are you the one or should we expect someone else? And in the 21st verse, Jesus answers this way of Luke chapter 7. He says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers of John the Baptist. He says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. He's actually quoting from what was known in that time as a messianic passage in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and part of verse 2. It's actually part of the message that Jesus read when he was in his own town, hometown in Nazareth at the, at the synagogue. And he opened up the scroll to Isaiah 61. And he read that passage. And he sat down and he said, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your sight. Pointing that he is the Messiah. And so he says, go back and tell John, you know, that, hey, I'm doing the very things that this passage says. But in verse 23, it says this, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, because of the way I'm acting as the Messiah and the things that I'm doing, I hope that you don't stumble over that because you have a preconceived idea of what the Messiah is supposed to do. And it's not happening. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble about uh, on account of me. And then in the next section of, of, of Luke chapter 7, he talks about John. John, he says, of all the prophets, John is the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. But he said, the one who comes in the kingdom that I bring in, my paraphrase here, the one who comes in the kingdom will be greater than him. Why? Because we now have the Holy Spirit that abides with us because the Messiah has come. But then he knows that some of the people are still kind of struggling with what he has just talked about. So he says this in verse 29. says, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' word, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But verse 30, it says, but the Pharisees and the experts in the law, the scribes, the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for them because they had not been baptized by John. So Jesus went on to say, 
to what can I compare this generation? Now, particularly, he's, he's pointing out to the Pharisees and, and the experts in the law, but he's also pointing to any that are not recognizing him as the coming Messiah. Because, again, he doesn't fit their expectations. He says, what can I compare this generation? What are they like? And then he says they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge or a sad song, and you did not cry. What is he talking about in, in this parable? We say the, we played the, pl- the flute, the, you know, we played a happy song, and you didn't dance. We sang a sad song, a dirge, and you did not cry. In order to understand that, we have to go back to that time. Understand that in that time, children did not have iPhones. Just a surprise. They did not have uh, iPads. They didn't have computers. They didn't have television. They didn't have movies to go see. They actually had to play outside and make up games. Gosh, horrible times, all right? Crazy times. And so what they did is they copied what their parents and what adults would do. And and two big celebrations, really, in a sense, or two big occasions in their life, was one was weddings that actually took a whole week of celebration and preparation and so forth. So they said, okay, today you're going to be married, you're going to marry this person and so forth. This will be best man, maid of honor. This will be the wedding procession, will be the crowd. Let's play wedding. And then at times, because funerals took a long time and were, were a pretty big event, let's play funeral. You'll be in a coffin this week. You deserve to die anyway. But, you know, I'll be the pastor and so forth. I'll be the priest over this, and, and you'll be the mourners and, and, and so forth. So they played those games. And so as, as we look at this particular parable, as I've studied it, I, I've come across two major definitions or, or interpretations of what this means. And the controversy over it is who is talking to, who are the people, play this game. You know, let's play wedding, let's play funeral. Is that Jesus and John the Baptist, or is that the scribes and the experts, or the, and the Pharisees, the experts in the law? You know, who's, who's what? So, so let's look at it and take this apart. Let's look at the first interpretation. Let's say that the ones that are saying, let's play this game, is John the Baptist and Jesus. And so they're telling the Pharisees and the the experts in the law, as well as the crowds, you know, do this, do this. But the problem is that the Pharisees and the experts in the law are not hearing. They don't want to play the game. And, and, And maybe that's because they're not in a place where they can hear what Jesus has to say. You know, they they're just not there at the time. Maybe put it another way, put it in our context, are we at a place, do we place ourselves in a place that we can hear when God is speaking to us? Do we make ourselves available to hear from God? One of the unique ways that we can do that is reading this particular book. I still carry a book, it's called the Bible, and in it is the Word of God. Being at Southeastern University and dealing especially with the traditional 18 to the 22-year-old, I often get the question students come to me, how do I know God's will for my life? What is God's plan for me? And I always kind of say, well, have you ever read the book? 
There are some things in there about God's will for your life. There are some instructions and some commands that he wants you to apply to your life. And if you want to know God's will, you might want to read the book. And so are you taking the time to do that? It's the only time you hear from the Word of God when you come to church on Sunday morning or Sunday night or maybe even Wednesday night that you hear God's Word. But the rest of the time, you really don't hear God's Word. And it's interesting, in July 2017 uh, issue of Influence Magazine, it actually talked about Americans and, and the title of the, and the Bible. It says, Americans love the Bible. <clears throat> but the subtitle was, but are they reading it? And then it says, the study says that 87% of American homes have a Bible in the home. In fact, most of them have at least three Bibles in the home. But then it says this, that 10% have never read it, even though it's in their home, and even though they might have several. 13% have only read a few sentences. 30% have read maybe several passages or stories. 15% have read at least half of it, probably just the New Testament, and maybe Psalms. 12% have read almost all of it, almost all of it. 11% have actually read all of it, and 9% have read all of it more than once. How are we doing? What percentage group are we in? Are we reading this Bible? Some of the students that I teach at Southeastern are, are students that are preparing to go into church ministry. And I remember a number of years ago, I had a class, it was called Pastoral Theology, and there were 65 students in that class. And I asked them, I said, how many have read through the entire Bible? I had five students put their hand up. These are students that are juniors and seniors preparing to go into pastoral ministry, and only five out of the 65 have ever read through the entire Bible. I'm telling you, I was shocked at that. It really took me back. It, it taught me that I can't assume that simply because somebody calls themselves a Christ follower and goes to church that they're reading their Bible. And yet, here is the Word of God. And, and I have to be honest with you, even as I was preparing for ministry, it was sometimes a hit or miss. I never had actually read it all the way through. I, I teach a class called Preaching Homiletics at Southeastern, and I said, you might want to read the entire Bible because there might be something things in that book that once you read it, you, you might want to just, you know, go somewhere else or decide to do something else. So somebody challenged me one day, you need to daily read the Bible. You need to, how, many, how many take time each day to pray? You know, I mean, and, and, hear, and not only just give your request to God, but to listen to God. Again, Jesus and John the Baptist are saying, hey, we, we sang a, we asked you to play a, sing a happy song, play the flute for you, but you didn't want to dance. We sang a sad song, you didn't want to mourn to the situation. Maybe it's because you didn't hear at all. You're not placing yourself in that place that you can hear from God which means setting our schedule at a place that we can do it. That, that, that's one, one, one part of this first interpretation about who's talking. Well, let's talk about the other part of that. Same one where Jesus and John the Baptist are talking to the crowd, asking them to do certain things, and they're not doing it. Maybe these people are hearing what Jesus is saying, but they don't want to do it because they don't like what they're being told. Now, I have to admit there are places in the Bible that step on my toes. 
Some that you, we're all familiar with. And a lot of people that are not in church have heard these. Love your enemy. Hey, there's one I love. Love your enemy. Are you kidding, God? I would love to key their car or hit them with a baseball bat. But love my enemy? Pray for them. I know what I want to pray for them. You know, right? That their car explodes or something like that. No! Pray for them. Pray blessing on their life. Even those who persecute you. Here's what, turn the other cheek. I mean, somebody slaps you in the face and you're going you're gonna to give them a second chance? Are you like crazy, God? What are you asking me to do? Here's an interesting one. Uh, I was preaching on this at a church a couple uh, weeks ago, and it was from 1 Peter chapter 2. And, and, and starting in the 13th verse, it said this. It says, submit yourself to the kings and the authorities that are over you. Now, most historians tell us that when Peter wrote his epistle, Nero was the emperor over Rome. Google Nero sometimes. Nero, uh, actually in 70 AD, Rome burned, and it's strongly thought that Nero was the one who set the fire. But he blamed it on Christians. And so Christians are being persecuted, thrown into the, you know, with the lions, and they're not winning. You know, it's just things are not working out. In fact, it's said that Nero would take Christians and impale them on a pole and light them on fire to light up his garden at night. Not a good time to be a Christ follower. And Peter's writing to people, Christians at the time, and saying, submit to your elders, Submit to the leaders and kings that are over you. That includes Nero. Wow. Are you kidding me? God, you don't know my boss. You don't know my master. You don't know who's in charge here. You don't know the leaders that we have. And we see that in our nation today. People are upset with who's president, and that's gonna, they're going to be upset no matter who's in there. There's always going to be that group. And yet as Christ followers, we're told to submit to them. In the next couple of verses in 2 Peter, it says, slaves, submit to your masters. Yo, slaves, submit to your masters. Even when your master does, treats you harshly, work in kindness back to them. Do your job and do it well. Man, that's tough stuff. When somebody's treating you wrong, and, and rather than retaliate, God's saying, to be a good worker in that situation. You see, there's things in the Bible that I sometimes hear and read, and I'm sometimes like the, the, the Pharisees and the experts in the law. I don't necessarily want to do it. Now, I, I can understand that parable. But then the other major interpretation of this that some authors have said, what if it's the Pharisees and the teachers of law that are over here saying, dance or mourn, play a flute, but you didn't dance. And, and over here are Jesus and John the Baptist who are saying, no, we're not going to do it that way. Just because you tell us to dance, we're not going to dance. Just because you tell us to mourn, we're, gonna, we're not going to play your games. I kind of feel that applies to this section as well, too. Because there, there, there's times that we want to tell God how to act. In our prayers, we do that. God, I want you to, to answer this prayer in this particular way. And then we get angry with him when he doesn't do it that particular way. We get frustrated with that. 
Before I came to Southeastern years ago, I I pastored in Phoenix, right next to, if you're familiar with uh, Tommy Burnett, right next to his church, was our church. And I I remember one day I was doing a hospital visit, and and I was visiting a hospital where on the fifth floor of the hospital, that was the cancer ward. And as I got in the elevator and pressed the fifth floor, another young man got in, and, and I asked him what floor, and he said the fifth floor, and oh, the cancer. And I think even on the way up, he told me that his dad was in there with cancer. And uh, I went and I, I saw the person that was in our congregation. We, we did our kind of pastoral thing and prayed and so forth and left. And it was interesting because he got in the same man, got in the elevator going down. And we just kind of talked about how, you know, the struggle with cancer and family and so forth. And uh, I left the hospital, and I'm driving back to the church, and I probably didn't get a mile from the hospital when I just really sensed a voice saying to me, go back and talk to that young man. And I said, well, God, you know, if if this is you, and just not, you know, pizza I ate for lunch, if this is you, that young man's going to be back in in that that waiting room. And when I got back to the hospital, sure enough, he was there. So I I, I went and talked to him, and I said, you know, I, I know you don't know me or anything else, but uh, we're, we're a church that believes in prayer, and, and, and if we can pray for, for you and your dad, we'll certainly be happy to do that. And he said, you know, I'm not a believer, but he said, my, my two sisters are, and they've been praying for my dad, dad's healing. They believe he's going to be healed. And the next Sunday, I actually, I met the two sisters. They came to our church because their brother had told them about me, so they, they came to the church, and we met. And, and, and over the next months, I, w- I would go, and when I was in the hospital over there, I would go and see d- their dad and pray for him and so forth. And, th- and then I can remember the night uh, I got a call, something like 3 o'clock in the morning from one of the sisters, and they said, Dad passed away. God didn't answer our prayers. Now, that's frustrating here as a, as a pastor because you don't always have the, the, the answers for that sort of thing. So I had to wrestle with my own theology on, on, on does God answer prayer or whatever and, and all this kind of stuff. And I, I've come to realize that, that particularly for a believer, death is not, is, 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 is not the, uh, the end there. That maybe that's the answer to prayer. Maybe, maybe he is healed. In fact, if he's died and gone to heaven, he is filled. There's no more sickness there. And simply because he didn't stay in this life. And, you know, I've never seen a Christian come back from heaven saying, you know, boy, it's not so hot up there. Yeah. I mean, hot fun type of thing. I know it's hot at the other place. Okay. But, but you know what I'm saying? They, they don't want to come back. They certainly probably grieve for us missing them. But I, I don't see anybody wanting to leave heaven just to come back here because it's better here. And, and so it, it's, it's kind of helped me to see that God doesn't always work the way that we expect him to work. Are we open to that? And yet he's telling us things, uh, you know, or, or people are telling God how to work in situations. God doesn't always do that way. As, as I read through the Gospels, I, I always want to shout to Jesus, will you stop healing people on the Sabbath? It's that when you do that, it upsets the religious community. It upsets the Pharisees and the, the priests. They get all upset because you're not supposed to do any sort of work on the Sabbath. Jesus, if you would just stop doing that, maybe you'd get a bitter crowd. But he continues to do that. There's times that Jesus is, 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 is talking to women, and particularly women that are not Jewish. You know, maybe they're a prostitute, or maybe they had a, a number of husbands. We see that in, in John chapter, what, chapter 4, chapter 5. 
And, and, and we see that, and they're saying, Jesus, don't do this, but he does that. He breaks the rules. He actually sits down and eats with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus, why do you do these things? You, you just upset the, the religious community when you do those. You're breaking all the rules. I kind of wonder if Jesus was here walking around today, if he wouldn't upset us as well, too. Jesus, why are you hanging around with that homosexual? Why, why are you spending time and in, in eating with that, that, that transgender person? Why are you doing that? And he'd probably say to us, this is what the kingdom is about. I didn't come to the healthy. I came to those that are in need of a savior. Maybe that's a message for us as the church on who we associate with. When, when, when people are saying you don't do this, and sometimes it's the religious community saying don't do this, maybe we're supposed to be like Jesus. Maybe we're really like Jesus when we upset the religious community. I don't know. But that's what Jesus is doing. He wasn't doing things their way. And so John the Baptist, his cousin, is even questioning, is he the one or should I expect another? You don't fit. You don't fit because you don't do things the way that we ask you to do it all right, or would like you to do it. You're not our idea of what the Messiah is all about. The unfortunate thing is that it ends up getting him crucified. But is that the unfortunate thing? Because we're here because of that. We're here because of that. He died for our sins. And so, do we allow God to be God? You know, remember, Rudy, there is a God, and we are not him. Can we allow God to be the God that he is? Do we place ourselves in a place that we can hear from God? Do we make ourselves available to read his word on a regular basis? Now, if you don't know how to do that, I, I, I would just say you could probably Google reading through the Bible in a year. Somebody told me years ago, they said this, they said, this is how they read the Bible, and it has worked for me some 40-something years. They said that they read two chapters out of the Old Testament, so I do that. Every day I read two chapters out of the Old Testament. Start in Genesis 1, go all the way through to Malachi, and then when I'm done that, I start back in Genesis. Every day I read two chapters out of the news. Start with Matthew Chapter 1, go all the way through the Revelation, chapter 22, go all the way back to Matthew again. It actually takes me uh, about a year, a little over a year to read through the Old Testament that way, and it takes me less than a year to read the New Testament, but I'm always doing that. I read a chapter in Proverbs every day. Why? Because it's wisdom. So today is, is the sixth, so I read the sixth chapter of Proverbs. Tells me how to live and how, just gives me some good advice and wisdom for life. So every month I'm going through the book of Proverbs, read it 12 times a year. And then I read Psalms, I read a Psalm every day. Not one verse, but a whole chapter. So I'm actually going through the book of Psalms every, you know, three months. And again, that teaches me how to worship God, how to express myself to God, how to worship God. You know, it teaches me those things. And I've noticed that it just, it, it builds my life and it makes me feel like I'm ready to face my, my day. It, it only takes me about 20 minutes to do that. Now, if that's too much time to give to God, right? Take two years to do it. Read just a chapter of the Old Testament every day and a chapter of the New and go through it in 10 minutes. 10 minutes you can, you give it, dedicate that every day to God. Find a time that's available that you won't be interrupted. Five o'clock in the morning works for me. My wife doesn't care what I do at five o'clock in the morning as long as I don't wake her up. Yeah, we're, we're, we're at peace. 
You know, I can do that. And I, there's not a, whole, not a whole lot of people are texting me at 5 o'clock in the morning. They're not calling me. I don't have to. No distractions at the time. You know, you find a time. Maybe it's late at night that works for you and set that time in so you can hear from God. So, you know, when he speaks to you, ask you to dance or to mourn or something, you, you can at least hear his voice. Then at the same time, challenge yourself to, to step out in faith when he asks you to, even when he asks you to do something radical and strange. You know, test it out. Is this really of God? I don't think Satan would ask me to give this person money. I don't think Satan's asking me to go over and talk to that person and share Jesus with him. But, you know, I'll do it because, God, you're with me in that time, so I'll go do it. You know, test it out at that particular time. I mean, maybe, maybe this Christianity thing really works. Maybe the Bible will tell us a new way to live. So, uh, you know, and, and at the same time, we, we've got to trust in God even when he asks us to do strange things or when he doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want. You know, it, it's interesting how this parable closes. It says this, but wisdom is proved right by her children. I think what he's saying there is when the children follow the ways of our master, we will look back and see, now that was wisdom. I, never, I didn't see it at first. I just stepped out in faith. But you know, God knew what he was doing. And it came true. And, and I think if you step out in faith and do some things, you, you, you'll see the wisdom in it. Maybe sometimes, too. You won't see it in your lifetime, but when you get to heaven and you get to see the big picture, like God sees it, maybe it's there. It's interesting. I have one quote, and I'll close here, but there's a quote that I, that I read from Max Lucado, author and, 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 and pastor and so forth, that really kind of hit me the other day. All right? He said this. He said, most people suffer from small thoughts about God. Most people suffer from small thoughts. We kind of put God in a box. He said, but in an effort to see him as our friend, we have lost his immensity. We, we just see him as a friend, but we don't realize that he is the God of the universe. He's dangling all sorts of things. He's dangling our life, but he's dangling, dangling nature and governments and you know, all sorts of things, the stars in the sky. And we, we forget that he, he sees a bigger picture. And so Max goes on and he says, in our desire to understand him, we have sought to contain him. In our desire to, to understand him, we sought to contain him. Okay, this is God. And we put him in that box and say, this is the God that I serve. And then he says this, the God of the Bible can't be contained. He's bigger than any box that we can put him in. And you know what? He he knows how many hairs are in our head. And for me, that's really important. He knows, he, he counts that. He knows, you know, he knows all these minor details about us. And he has our best interests at heart because he is a God of love. And he works out of that love. So I, as I close, I, I just want to challenge you. Now, do you have a plan to read through the Bible so you can hear from God? Do you have a plan? Well, get one. Are you ready? Maybe, maybe you just want to put your hand up and say, you know, how could I work on that? All right? And maybe I'll, and today I'll go home and I'll Google how to read through the Bible in, in a year's time or two years' time. And, and, and Lord, I, I need to do that more. And maybe you just want to acknowledge that. May, maybe, too, that uh, 
God's been, you know, God's been telling you some things, but they're uncomfortable, and you're saying, you know, I'm going I'm to try to step out in faith when he asks me to do some things that are awkward, you know, that, that don't seem like they fit, but he's asked me to do it, so I'm going I'm to step out in faith on that. Maybe, maybe you just want to say, God, that I need to work on that. I need to be more obedient when I hear your still, small voice telling me to reach out to this person or give this person some money or help them out or share my faith with my neighbor or something like that. Lord, I, I need to work on that a little bit more. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you're searching for who God is. You haven't made a commitment. You haven't asked Christ to come into your life and take over. And maybe you're here today and you're struggling with that. Maybe today is the day that you really need to say, okay, God, I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. Help me. Because there's things I'm, I'm wrestling in my life that I just can't resolve and I need outside help. And I, I'm willing to submit myself and be humble and say, I need, I need you. If you're out there, come into your life. And if you say a simple prayer like that, you know what? He'll do it. Did it to me years ago. I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I didn't come to Christ until I was about 24 years of age. And, and so... It got to the place that, you know, drugs, alcohol just wasn't doing it for me. But God is, and he hasn't failed me yet. I want to listen to him more. I want to put myself where I can hear him more. And I think a lot of you do too. So God help us today in this. Father, as the, as the people come forward, the, the prayer leaders that come forward, and, and maybe there's some that need to come up, and maybe it's something that the message has spoken or the worship has spoken to them, but they just want to come up and be prayed for and Lord, so uh, we want to make ourselves available for that. Uh, maybe if you've come to church and there are some needs, and I haven't hit on any of it, but you just don't want to leave until somebody agrees with you in prayer. There are people up here today that will be more than glad to you. And, and so do that. So Lord, bless this group. Let them have a great day, a great week. Let's Pastor Backburn as he, as he comes back and, and be with him. A general counsel, let things go well. Uh, just bless Victory Church, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, Randy's going to somewhere. There he is. Okay, gosh. Uh, Randy's going to sing a song or lead us in a song. And, but uh, if you stand with me, all right, and it, you want to come forward, more than happy to do that. At the end of the song, Randy will close and, and will be dismissed at that point. But if, if God's tugging you at your heart just to come forward, do that and respond to God. God bless you. Have a great Sunday and a great week. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. Okay.